The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James and welcome along to the podcast. Today we're going to be discussing Fulham's one-all draw up at Turf Moor, which brings us within six points of safety. Maybe not all we were hoping for on this trip, but was a point better than none. That's what we're going to be discussing today, as well as looking ahead to Saturday's must-win game against Sheffield United at the Cottage. And I'm joined today by the Athletics' Peter Rutzler. Hey, Sammy, how you doing? Fine, thank you. And Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. Uh, you'll have noticed once again that... Because Fulham didn't win, it is me hosting the podcast. The curse continues. And I think it's going to be put truly to the test on Saturday because I am hosting the pod on Sunday you're after not, Sheffield you're not, United. You're not. I, I've, I've made the executive decision that you are no longer hosting on Sunday and I am. Um, Honestly, sorry, if, that's the way it ha- if that's the way it has to be, then I actually, for the greater good, I'm happy to hand in my resignation, Jack. But there's a lot of podcasts. There's a lot, there's a lot to, for you to handle. But... Uh, you can have the Man City game and the Liverpool game. <laughs> <laughs> I just get all the big teams that we're never going to win anyway. I- I'm honestly worried about it. If we don't beat Sheffield United on Saturday, then then there truly is a curse. And I will have to start thinking about my position, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. I think we all are. Uh, right. Um, Jack, what were the three word reviews from last night? Um, I like Ben Bruford's point ain't enough, which was, was just oh. nice. That was that was good. Ollie Beals, a lot of them were a bit like this. Turf more bore. Um, yeah. The Balkan boys, please terminate RLC, which is potentially a little bit harsh. But, but you know, after yesterday's performance, you can see why Josh Whitcomb's very stale mate was good and <laughs> Londinium calling our scrappy place where it was clever but my favorite Ooh. actually came from Instagram where Hope said more Deja Drew <laughs> is, mean, that te- is that technically two words rather than three Deja Vu no because one. she's done Drew as a separate word as in D-R-E-W uh, okay there's so many puns going on it's like four puns in one I'm into it that's, um, that's yeah, my favorite that is- Hope wins that is an exceptional <laughs> level of three-word review. I mean, I guess with like happy place and turf more and draw and there was lots to go with, but yeah, very, very good. Well done, everybody. Right, let's come on to the game then. And uh, Peter, I'll start with you. Uh, I saw your piece this morning on The Athletic about the game. Don't forget, you can get The Athletic now for a special price. Uh, just sign up now at theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod. You'll get to listen to Fulhamish ad-free and get all of Peter's incredible articles and Peter you talked about more frustration last night and how really Fulham played into Burnley's hands or more to the point Burnley made Fulham play into their hands and all in all we can probably be fairly satisfied with coming out with a point but we all know that single points aren't going to be enough to save us this season when it comes down to it. Yeah, it's sort of the the pull between the two, isn't it? Where, you know, Burnley imposing themselves on Fulham and Fulham not being able to respond. I, I, I felt it was a bit of both in that there were, especially first half, uh, a lot of uncharacteristic errors, a lot of sloppy passes. Um, maybe that was a drop off from Sunday. I think, you know, it reminded me a bit of the, the Liverpool game 
Um, and then the, the Brighton game that followed it where you had such high intensity for, for an important game, uh, which then dropped off for the game a, a couple of days later, which which is going to happen. There weren't any changes to the team. Um, but, uh, you know, but <laughs> when you go to Turf Moor, you, you expect a certain style of play. And um, Burnley, Burnley made life really difficult for Fulham. They didn't let them settle. They didn't let them play. Um, they pressed very high. Central midfield was, was pointless. Um, a lot of long balls and, and Fulham never really settled. Um, Scott Parker talked afterwards about how the team's quite a young one and that, you know, you could see that this was going to happen and you have to sort of prepare for it and adapt to it. Um, and I can see that to an extent, but I, I, I do feel there will be a sense of real frustration, not just because of the fact that Fulham took the lead, but because of the way Bay Fulham played it in, in parts. You know, I didn't think they were very good at retaining possession. They weren't very good at prog- progressing the ball, which is something we've become accustomed to. Uh, but yeah, that's it's what you what you expect when you go to Burnley, really. And there was uh, far more creativity with the three word reviews than we saw last night. That's for sure. <laughs> well, I mean, Jack, we saw Scott go for an unchanged lineup, and it's very easy to forgive him doing that after such an impressive, strong performance up at Everton. But. I maybe would have made changes for this. Firstly, given the fact that there wasn't a lot of rest time between Everton uh, and yesterday, but also it was obviously going to be such a different game. And, you know, for me, it was crying out for Anguissa in the middle of the park. And obviously that did happen later on. Do you think in hindsight, Scott maybe got his selection slightly wrong, but I can forgive him for thinking that that was the right thing to do if yeah. that that makes any sense yeah it's easy to have 2020 vision in hindsight isn't it um i i think what was maybe most interesting for me was not necessarily the the chain the lack of changes in personnel but the change in a system i think we saw much more of a 4-2-3-1 against everton with room loftus cheek central and yesterday especially in the first half we saw him pinned to the right wing and he was incredibly ineffective. Um, he was isolated. He was predictable, kept trying to slow the ball down and then kind of burst past his opponent. And it, it just wasn't working full stop. Charlie Taylor had it, had it covered all day long, frankly. And it is annoying because out on the right, I think we've we've seen that he's just nowhere near as effective. He's not very good. He slows the pace down. And actually, at the start of the second half, we saw that shift to him in the middle. Bobby Reed went wide for a little while. Um, and and actually, the, the passage of play that led to the corner that led to the goal came about because of that burst through the middle and the, the ability of Tete then to get round on the outside and, and push forward a little bit more. And it looked for a second like we started to have control of the middle and then the goal happened and we suddenly collapsed in on ourselves, which is a pretty weird one. Um, but we'll get onto that later, I'm sure. It, I, I see what you mean and I, I can understand. And I thought that Anguissa, when he came on, while he was a little bit sloppy in possession... Uh, did show elements of the kind of bursts and, you know, kind of physical dominance that we've expected of him. We haven't really seen since that COVID outbreak. So so there was something for that. But I can also understand why he's being rested because that passage of games where he was forced into playing almost every game, including the Burnley Cup game, um, when we were really not very good and he still didn't seem to be fully recovered, uh, still irks me a little bit and I can understand why he's getting a rest. I can also understand why after Lamina and Reed were so good against Everton uh, on the weekend, they were, they were given another shot as the pairing. One of the key differences was the fact that Loftus-Cheek was not playing centrally. And I think we've seen Loftus-Cheek play at his best when he is able to move into those spaces. And 
for me, I, I just put it down to the fact that Fulham didn't retain the ball for long enough. I think at Everton, Loftus-Cheek sort of started on the right, but would then come in field as, as Fulham progressed their attacks. There was a bit more of dynamism. Bobby Decker-Dover-Reed would pop up in all sorts of different spaces and they just weren't able to do that because they weren't, well, they weren't able to progress the ball up the field. And, you know, credit does have to go to Burnley for that. You know, they have a certain way of playing and, and you know, you have to <laughs> you have to adapt or, or, or you die really on your, on, on your feet. And uh, I think the frustrating part is that Fulham still managed to find a way to score, which is something they haven't done at all this season. And then managed to, to then throw it away, which is which is the biggest, maybe the biggest frustration, perhaps. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of getting the getting the players you want on the ball to, to influence the game, uh, Fulham weren't able really to do that. And I, maybe fatigue was a part, and maybe just freshening it up by bringing in um, Angisa at the start. If he if he was in a better uh, disposition for the game, then then that may have made some kind of difference because it is a tight turnaround. It is difficult, especially when you play with the intensity that the Fulham did on Sunday and, and would want to replicate in a two in midfield. Well, also, I don't know if, Peter, did Fulham stay in the northwest between Everton and Burnley? I'm going to presume not, but in normal times, that might have been something or an option that was available to Fulham. That's a, it's a lot of travelling as well, and I think it's easy to forget that. Uh, no, they flew back uh, after Everton uh, very, pretty rapidly, actually, and then they they flew up uh, the uh, yeah yesterday for <laughs> the day of the game. Um, so it's less of an issue nowadays. Most clubs in the top flight tend to fly to to, to matches. Um, it means less time sitting sitting down. I mean, it, gone are the days where you have long long coach journeys, which which you have in the lower leagues. Um, so from that side, no, I think even even then i don't if you were to stay up i think that may be something they would have done a long long time ago it depends where you're able to train what you're able to do it becomes a bit more disruptive um nowadays having you know the the value of the training ground of all the different facets of it um and especially so in the covid environment at, at the moment so less of an issue that the the, the the sort of travel i mean it's it's not easy it's, it's you are still having to move but that's that's the point of playing away games isn't it and that's the the sort of fine margins you, you gain from home and away matches yeah mr logistics here baby needn't be worried okay let's um <laughs> come on to uh the fact that somehow jay rodriguez didn't score um at the end of the first half and jack uh, a vital little interception from from alphonse Ariola because i watched that and thought i, I just generally was gobsmacked thought that it was going to be on blooper reels for years to come that jay rodriguez somehow missed it but of course until you saw the reverse angle and the slow motion replay you just didn't realize what a vital little touch Ariola got on that because it was a certain goal otherwise there's always moments with this that I look at and I think how much I mean, he obviously isn't trying to push it through Jay Rodriguez's legs is he like it no. is one of those but but it's an incredible you know athletic effort to get something on it and as, as you say it prevents a certain goal I do wonder how much you know we see these elements and if it just bounces off him and and goes in are we saying oh Ariola should get a stronger hand to that etc etc but it doesn't and and then we're we're looking at it and thinking right what what a save so yeah an incredible incredible piece of play and actually I was thinking about this it's Loftus-Cheek lets Tarkovsky burst past him and he, he gets sold a dummy which you can't be getting sold by a centre-back frankly um especially if you're if if you're a midfield player there's, there's no excuse for that he then bursts through and, and plays in a really really good cross but I remember being really angry at Loftus-Cheek being like you can't just let him wander past you like that and fire in the cross and 
you know, yes, Ariola bails him out. But if that goes in, then then there's so much there's so much on his head for that goal because it's just really, really poor defensively. And uh, we were very, very lucky in, in many ways to not be behind at the interval. Let's come on to Fulham's goal then, which came shortly after half time. We we weathered the Burnley storm, got ourselves the corner, and well, we've scored two goals from set pieces that I can remember this year, Peter. There was the Matt Ritchie off his face against Newcastle. And then there was this one where it comes off Ola Aina's chest and Robbie Brady inexplicably doesn't clear it off the line. Um, We've now got uh, a tally chart of two in the set piece column, but hardly two convincing set piece goals, but I'll take them however they they go in. But yeah, yeah, it was a bit of an odd moment, really. Good little flick by Aina and a good run from Bobby Decker to overread to even make the chance but yeah not one that uh, maybe will go in the goal of the season compilation yeah not a pretty one um but you take them and and yeah Fulham need to score more goals from from these situations they need more players to to chip in with goals and um <laughs> yeah I mean you, you take them as they come but I, you, you think back to the, some of the chances that Fulham have had in recent games from from set players I know Tosin Adrabayo's had a couple couple of good headers and Fulham aren't a small team, especially the defenders when they go forward. There's some good presences in the box. Um, and, I, you know, watching the way they, they do their corners, they really do vary. I remember back at West Ham uh, earlier in the season, they were playing with three, sometimes four going short to, to create new angles for a cross. Uh, against City, they overloaded the back post. Um, you know, they really have tried different things, just trying to tweak it to, 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 to get those opportunities, but not actually taking them. Um, so this one, this one comes as a relief. It's you know Fulham is still, I think, still bottom of the uh, number of goals for from from set plays this season. I think it is two. I think Opta and the st- uh, the stats guys will put it as three because of Bobby Decadover Reed's goal against Liverpool. But I mean, for me, that's that's not from a set play. That's the second oh, phase. Yeah. Um, so you know, and you look at some of Fulham's relegation rivals. You know, Burnley have scored seven um, from from set plays. That's massive. You know, they don't score many goals at all um, in other areas. Uh, West Brom have scored six, I think. Um, so, you know, th- this is an area that Fulham really do need to improve on. And I think it was an issue last season as well. I don't think Fulham scored many from from corners or from free kicks. So, uh, well, unless Niskan's Cabana was around. Um, so, yeah, th- th- it's definitely something that they need to improve on and, and, and just to give them an edge, especially when games are going like like the way last night was, where Burnley have sort of got you in a headlock and like dragging you into the ground and you just got to find something like to kick them and get them out and, and get ahead. Um, that's what can can make the difference. And, you know, and then, then to go and concede, it's, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's a kick in the teeth. But um, that was quite encouraging uh, as much as it was quite unorthodox and a little odd and Robbie Brady... I mean, <laughs> didn't exactly cover himself in glory with that or his 20-minute cameo. Yeah, to be honest, yeah. or his game in, in the whole. I love Robbie Brady, uh, provided me with one of the greatest moments of my life when he scored in the 85th minute against Italy for Ireland in the Euros <laughs> and sent Ireland through to knockout stages. But um, yeah, I mean, a day to forget for him. He should have been sent off. Uh, he failed to save, to, to block that on the line. I'm not sure what he's doing. He just sort of dangles a leg at it instead of getting his body behind it. Um I would argue that that might go down as some of the one of the worst cameos of all time. Yeah, I'd agree with I that. think up there with Steven Gerrard getting sent off after thirty seconds, no, kind no, of not territory. Quite, not quite that bad, but but yeah, it's definitely in the it's not in the come on get sent off category because there's been a few of those over the last couple of years. But it he should have been sent off, and he failed to prevent a goal which he should have failed, which he should have prevented. So yeah, it, it go up there, go up there into the uh, into the pantheon. I'd say. 
Sky was really enjoying uh, focusing in on him at loads of times last night. I was like, the poor lad's had a terrible evening. <laughs> He's probably thinking, uh, what's happened to my football career? And Sky just couldn't help but just like zoom in on him every time that the ball went out of play. And it, well, it happened a lot last night. Um, that goal, Jack, that Burnley scored, um, a catalogue of errors. I, I'm still just really upset that Tosin Adarabayo got fooled by one of the one of the simplest tricks in the game. I remember Damien Duff doing a rollover like that against Amkar Perm uh, at home in the Europa League. And I remember thinking, well, that's what you get when you play village farmers from Russia. Um I, I was expect uh, he's such a good defender toast and I'm not here to rat on him at all. I was just, I was just upset that that happened to him because it's one of the oldest trick in the books. Let the ball run through your legs and, and fool the defender behind you. And after that, again, Ashley Barnes's missed touch to make it go away from Ariola. It was, it was really painful to watch. And especially as it happened only three minutes after we took a fairly fortuitous lead as well. And you feel like a Fulham had just maybe done 10 minutes or something that actually we could have seen one of our famous Scott Parker rear guard, Maxime Lamarche on off the bench kind of performances. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I'm, I'm not as as angry at Tosin as, everyone else seems to be i thought it was really really impressive from jay rodriguez to spot it and and do it i i've got to say i I think those tricks are underrated because they're simple right he he does the step his body weight shift is lovely and he's slightly fortunate that it runs through tosin's legs but it's a really clever bit of skill um should tosin be up there that high at the start Mm. is probably the question i would ask rather than rather than why he gets why he gets spun. I think getting spun by a by another professional footballer at the top level isn't that weird. But I would I would maybe argue why he's so high. And I'm not quite sure what Jerkim Anderson is doing. Uh, he sort of pretends to come across and then doesn't and basically shuts down neither option. Uh, and Kenny <laughs> Tete decides not to track. I assume to try and play the offside. Um, but actually, if he'd just run back, he probably would have had a shot at, at making a challenge. So, well, also, particularly given his poor first touch. Well, yeah, n- no one covers themselves in glory. Um, but I, I'm, I'm less willing to rag on Tosin perhaps than everyone else. I, I think it is really, really clever from Jay Rodriguez and he does really well to sell him. Um, I just think that our high line has caused us problems that we just didn't need to do there. It's Burnley. They're not exactly the quickest side in the world. Not quite sure why we're you know, pushing that high line so, you know, so aggressively, especially after we've just scored. It was the just the disconnectedness of, of that whole thing, as you just outlined, you know, there was Kenny Tete trying to play offside. There was Joachim Anderson who didn't know if he was here or there, or just didn't know whether to step up, to step back and then did neither. Uh, and then also the fact, as you say, that, that, that Tosin was so high up the pitch, which is, which is unusual because throughout the first half, and it was quite clear what, Fulham, uh, what Burnley were trying to do was to turn Fulham around constantly. Ashley Westwood constantly playing the ball over the shoulder, constantly making 50-50 battles, and, and Fulham had to compete and to win them, and they didn't always do that. And It's never easy against Ashley Barnes and, and even Jay Rodriguez now. And you know, that, that, It just felt a little naive. It was almost as if they forgot who they were playing for a second. And you know, Fair play to Jay Rodriguez for, for pulling it off. It was very, very nice. Well, for them anyway. Yeah. Maybe I, I certainly don't look Tosin has been brilliant for us this season. I don't want people to get the wrong impression, but I don't know. I just remember, I just, I just remember Duff doing it. I'm always stuck in my mind that trick and I've not seen many footballers do it since. So I guess maybe I'm just upset that someone did it against us for, for, for a change. Um, the rest of the game, 
it wasn't really too much to write home about. Fulham probably had the best chance, Jack, through Lookman towards the end. He found that little bit of space. Good play for it from Josh Madger. Um, and then he cut in on his right foot. And, well, I guess maybe them, them in the margins, you saw someone like Riyad Mahrez absolutely ping it in from that kind of angle on the, on the other side for Man City. And Lookman was only a yard away and on another day could have could have found the back of the net that was probably about as good as it came really maybe a couple of headers for Burnley but other than that there wasn't too much between the sides yeah it, it, it was a game that you, you kind of sensed that Burnley were reasonably happy with the draw uh, I think uh, at that point once they once they'd kind of equalized and once the next they you know they had a sustained period of pressure after that and once that didn't come off you sort of noticed them start to retreat quite comfortably back into their shell. They were happy for Fulham to play in front of them, I think, quite a lot. Uh, and and that opportunity for, for Lookman was really the only time where he broke the lines. And it came from good work from Josh Madger, who who was incredibly isolated yesterday, I thought, and and didn't didn't really have any opportunities. Our, our passing team was wayward. He, he didn't kind of have too many moments there was a strange one in the second half where he looked a little bit shot of confidence he, he picked the ball up about 30 meters from goal and instead of driving into the space he immediately tried to pick out Lookman and had a had the pass cut out and it wasn't the kind of moment I think for a striker you'd hope was going to drive at goal at that point not necessarily have a shot but at least you know progress Fulham up the field instead of instead of looking for the first time ball so yeah, it was the first time we really got Madger on the ball around the around the eighteen yard box, and he he found Lookman, and it's a good effort to be honest. Um, I'm not going to throw too much shade. At it. He doesn't quite get the curl that he's looking for, but I think we've seen this year that it does take something reasonably special quite a lot of the time to beat Nick Pope or Lucky in in like in his case perhaps. But <laughs> it, it's um yeah, it's a good effort, and it's probably the best ever. I I just want to kind of talk a little bit about Burnley, Sammy, if that's okay, like. We, we talked about them on on Monday, and 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 as you said, you know, before we came on air, Cam said that they they were a rugby team, and I, I think that's a bit harsh. I still think that's a bit harsh, but what they are really good at um, is is imposing their style on other people. And uh, we said this about we say this about Man City, we say this about Liverpool, we say this about you know the teams in the top half. But Burnley are incredibly good of making you play a way that they want you to play. And I think we saw that yesterday. Yes, Fulham weren't good. But part of that, I think, was the fact that Burnley, you know, Peter just mentioned, kept turning us around, kept trying to play that kind of diagonal into the channels. Um, and, and with that, Fulham were kind of forced to not play the way that they wanted. And the high press meant that we went long a lot of the time and it just kept coming back at us. And... There are ways around this. I think we saw that switch at halftime, tactical switch that that allowed us to to get on the ball for the first five minutes of the of the second half or so before everything went kind of Pete Tong. But it, it was interesting that I thought that we we played a game that suited Burnley yesterday, and we paid the price for it in that we we weren't able to to kind of get our foot on the ball. We weren't able to control the game, and yes, part of that is probably fatigue, tiredness from the weekend, but also just it was it was good from Burnley's perspective. If you're looking at how they played, is that they were able to to do exactly what they wanted. They had Fulham, I thought, where they wanted them for most of the game. Yeah, and it's not just tactical stuff either. Like it's it's everything else that comes with it. It's taking a little bit longer with set plays it's playing for the set plays it's taking a while with throw-ins the ball going out of play it's the little niggles it's you know Ashley Barnes like mouthing off to Joachim Anderson it's you know even Scott Parker was sort of riled at one point it was absolutely livid I think it was to do with some of the some of the, the aerial challenges 
and then John Moss goes over and has a word with him. So that, that's what they want to do: just get under your skin a little bit, and then towards the end of the game, they're, they're time wasting as well. And it's it's I think the ball was in play for about fifty minutes, fifty minutes thirty seconds, which is which I think is is a lower amount. It's not like the lowest in the league this season, and generally games only are about an hour. Uh, of actual on-field action but for a team like Fulham who like to get the ball down and play this is just the complete opposite of what they want to do so it's the whole complete package isn't it at Turf Moor it's just it's just this is how Burnley want you to play you're coming you're coming to our ground this is what you've got to do and you've got to try and find a way around it and try and try and try and beat them in a different way but it just Fulham weren't able to do that they just weren't able to match I think their intensity as well is that then a sign that a point last night, yes, not massively helpful for our survival hopes, is something that we have to be fairly content about? I mean, I said yesterday I would take a point from Burnley. I, I genuinely said that. I'm not just trying to trying to like do a bit of revisionism here because that's what happened. Like we've taken a point from Burnley. It was a difficult conditions. We were probably a bit fatigued after Everton on Sunday and we're a young team that maybe hasn't had that challenge too many times uh, as a collective. So in that sense, Jack, and given all of those things that Burnley threw at us, maybe a point isn't a bad result. I think we, we take too much of it in isolation. In, in isolation, yeah, it's not. It's not a bad result. But considering where we are, considering, I think, what we what we need to achieve before the end of the season, that I think that we, we needed to we needed to kick on yesterday. Burnley haven't... I, I think also there's, there's a part of this that, yes, I, and I, I was impressed with what they did in terms of... Impressed is maybe the wrong word, but it works what they do, right? It worked yesterday on us. They, they had us <laughs> where they wanted us. But it, it's not... But, you know, turf... Turf Moor has a has a certain power and all of these things, but I don't think it's been as prevalent this season. They've lost five of their twelve home games there this season. They without Ben Mee, their record is quite considerably worse. They were lacking top scorer Chris Wood. You know, this wasn't a Burnley team at full strength either, and we let them. I think in in some ways commandeer the game we let them play and part of that is playing 4-4-2 and matching 4-4-2 against them which I thought was quite a strange maneuver from Scott if I'm honest I can understand why he tried to match up and I think part of it was trying to get the aerial power of of, of Ruben Loftus-Cheek matched up against Charlie Taylor but we didn't really throw any crosses in which makes that kind of irrelevant in in so many ways and yeah it, it's annoying I, I, I'm annoyed that we let them basically put their stamp on the game and play it in their fashion. It was a very Burnley game. And uh, part of that is, yes, they they made it so. And part of that is that Fulham weren't able to impose ourselves on game. We've said that we need to do that more when we're when we're looking to win. And, and yesterday we didn't. So is it a good point? I would say no. But if you don't, if you can't win, then don't lose. And we didn't. Yeah, it just depends how you look at it, doesn't it? I mean, if you if you go with the fact that Fulham didn't really play to their strengths at all, they didn't play particularly well either, then maybe you take the point. But then as Jack says, you know, this isn't a full strength Burnley, you know, this is a Burnley without Ben Mee, who normally with when when they don't have that Mee Tarkovsky axis at the back, uh, there's usually some vulnerabilities there, but they weren't tested at all, to be honest. So that that makes it disappointing and in the context of everything else as well and, and the need to get points then yeah yeah I think it is actually a bit more bit more on the disappointing side than perhaps as than than the positive but you know if you compare it to say that the games at, at Sheffield United away Newcastle away and um 
you know, those were the games where you think, right, those were games that Fulham really should have won. So you take the point and, I, you know, if, you know, Fulham can get the result on Saturday against Sheffield United, which is such a massive game, um, and you get that, you get seven points from a week, which is fantastic in the context of how how things have gone of late and, and, and the long run without a win, then, you know, the whole dynamic sort of changes and then you say it might, might actually be a good point because it just keeps them in touch with Newcastle who you know, already seem a bit shaky, or at least their fan base are anyway. Yeah, actually, interesting you mentioned that. There's a great piece on The Athletic for, from Chris Woff, basically about how Newcastle are really, Newcastle fans are really nervous about the threat of, of what Fulham can do. And the, the piece basically said that they were adamant that Fulham were going to win all three games this week, including last night. So at least maybe uh, if you're a Newcastle fan, they may be breathing a little bit easier this morning. But yeah, we're we'll definitely checking it out on The Athletic. And, and what you said there, Pete, is the crux of it for me win on Saturday then I think yesterday's a good point don't win on Saturday then I think it changes the perception of that point against against Burnley and it's an absolute must win and we will come on to it but next uh, we're going to have a look a little bit at the relegation race as a whole as Fulham move within six points of survival part two of the Fulhamish podcast Sammy James here and I'm joined by Peter Rutzler hi and Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. Fulhamish has started an email newsletter. Uh, we had one years ago and then it kind of fell away, but we've restarted it again. If you'd like to sign up, uh, just go to fulhamish.co.uk and you'll see the form to subscribe on the right-hand side. We're going to be releasing a newsletter after each game, just with some links to uh, good Fulhamish articles, a little bit of a write-up on each match, our next fixtures. You'll get our player rating scores in there as well, straight to your inbox. Uh, so if you'd like to subscribe, go to fulhamish.co.uk you'll see the form on the right hand side of the homepage. and yeah please uh, do sign up and enjoy the emails um, we're really looking forward to being in your inbox uh, right let's come on to the survival battle as a whole and Jack we move within six points of Newcastle and I feel like Today is the first time in ages that you can look at the Premier League table. There's very few games in hand now and the kind of battle ahead is quite clear because beforehand you were looking at the table and saying, well, if Fulham win that game in hand or if that team lose their game in hand, now there's very few ifs. It's a quite clear race. We're six points behind Newcastle. We do have a better goal difference. So effectively, if you're looking to that final day and hoping that West Brom and Sheffield United don't get a run out of wins out of nowhere, then the race does look fairly clear ahead now um, that that game last night has been played. Yeah, it's within three of Newcastle on the final day with goal differences level, right? That's what you need. Because then a win takes you up. Or takes you up, keeps you up. It's it's quite simple on paper. Um, what it is in practice is, is probably a bit more difficult. We look at Newcastle's next two games and they're against Man United and Wolves. Uh, Fulham's are obviously against Sheffield United and Crystal Palace. Uh, I mean, there is... Theoretically, and I'm not going to say it's going to happen because it's just full of we don't make things easy. But there is there is a very possible chance that on by the 28th of February, by the end of this month, Fulham and Newcastle are level on points. 
Uh, I, I think that's it. Then that's when things get a bit trickier because then Fulham have Liverpool and City and Newcastle play West Brom. They play Brighton in the next couple of games. They play Burnley. There are games there that they'll be thinking, oh yeah, okay, fair enough. And in their last two games, they have Sheffield United followed by us. So it comes down to, you know, a look at how, you know, that that Sheffield United game the week before could be crucial because if things are tight at that point and Newcastle managed to eke out a win over the Blades, that could be the game that, that keeps them up. If, if Fulham don't keep pace effectively it, and it would mm. it would be it would be incredibly frustrating to get to that point right to get to the the denouement if you will of the season and for Newcastle to be within reach until one week beforehand and then pull away so Fulham need to make sure that if that you know we're going into those last couple of weeks that there's already not a gap because that gap if it expands at that point could, could be curtains for everyone so so that's where I'm at with it. It's kind of the next two games are really important. The last two games are really important. And between them, it's a case of keeping pace as far as I'm concerned. And if we can do that, then I don't, you know, I do think that that last day of the season, the pressure on it, the the amount of, of stress that will be going on that day. I mean, I'm not going to say that it will be enjoyable for anybody, um, but it, I think it will weigh heavy on Newcastle as well because, you know, like they say, it's a big club with a huge fan base who are very expectant. Um, and the fact that they would even be in that position, I imagine, would weigh heavy on a lot of people. The psychological side of that is almost like an extra tool for Fulham, really. And, you know, there is the possibility, the, the slim possibility that there might be some fans there that, that could happen. You know, things stay hard. I don't want to sort of jinx it because of, you know, how varied the whole the whole of the pandemic has been. But, um, you know, you get fans in there as well. And so, <laughs> suddenly this is quite quite a stressful thing for, for Newcastle especially and not least for, for Fulham as well in, in the home end but um, that, that really does add another other side to it um, and it is just a case as Jack said and and, and of, of keeping pace and then with that lovely French accent you threw in there Jack and, and being there for the denouement um, that's 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 going to be the difference and you know this these next couple of games the next this next week or so a couple of weeks even will will probably decide whether the two sides below Fulham are going to be in and around it um less so Sheffield United obviously they play they play Fulham on Saturday but West Brom in particular I think you know they've got Burnley Brighton Newcastle Palace I mean that's essentially you know if they don't come away with a good points hole there that's them pretty much down, I would say. I mean, it's we premature to say it, but um, those are massive, massive games that can really stretch them, stretch them away from from safety. Um, Sheffield United, of course, look like they've got a bit of momentum. We, you know, we're talking about this as being a must-win game, is but and, and maybe even as a given, but it's certainly not. Um, you know, they weren't so good last time out, but I, when you when you're looking at them compared to where they were when Fulham last played them, they they do seem to have a little bit more belief. Um, Tapered, of course, by, by where they are on the table, but. You know they'll still believe that they can they can get enough wins. You know they picked up so many last season that you know that the, the crux of that squad is still there. So not much has changed in, in in that regard. So I mean, yeah, Saturday is absolutely massive, isn't it? Really, and it's just it's just keeping 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 close to Newcastle, just holding on to their coattails, just to keep the pressure on mentally as much as anything. Um, a six point gap doesn't necessarily do that. Yeah, I was interesting reading your piece that you did um, on. 
uh, Tuesday, Peter, about Fulham survival hopes doing the maths. And um, there's a table that you did, which was opponent difficulty. Now, this was the final 14 games, which included last night's. But uh, Fulham's average opponent league position uh, is 10.2 in our final uh, games. Newcastle's is 10.3. So almost similar um, level of opponent that Fulham and Newcastle will be facing between now and the end of the season. Burnley is 10.9. Brighton have the toughest run at 9.9. So if I think Brighton are probably safe, but they do have a, a difficult run. Uh, Sheffield United 11.4 and then West Brom 10.1. I mean, with so many games remaining, basically it's the, it is the fact that most teams have to play every other team once. But do you think there's any other side, Peter, that can be dragged into this except Newcastle? Well, it's interesting you said that because uh, the other side that we're looking at at the moment probably is Crystal Palace. I mean, they, they've won three of their last 13 games uh, and they, they're they coming into now some, some important games. Obviously, Fulham after this weekend, it's Brighton, a big game, obviously a, a weird sort of derby that they have going on there. Um, that's that's this weekend. So not a derby. <laughs> um, so they could easily suddenly find themselves um, coming under a little bit more pressure. Now there are so many games. I mean, fourteen games, and they're on twenty twenty nine points. Yeah, there's points. a ten point gap. They're twenty nine yeah. points. They're on twenty nine points. So I mean, realistically, they just need a, a slight upturn and, and to pick up what six seven points, and suddenly they're you know they're basically on the sun lounger almost. You can think about what they're what they're going to do this summer with their with their squad and obviously Roy Hodgson as as well. Um, but you know it, it can swing. It can swing very easily. It's very easy to fall into a very dark patch and and, and not pick up those points. And the more teams Fulham can can pull in, the the better. I, I, you know Brighton do have some tougher fixtures, but the way they play, I, I just can't see them being really dragged into. It. I think they're going to pick up enough enough points. Um, you know, Sheffield United is actually the easiest potentially on, on paper. So again, that might play into their hands a little bit. Uh, but yeah, you're looking at Newcastle. I, I just think Burnley have enough about them, the way they play, just to grind out the results they need. Um, so realistically, it's probably Newcastle. I mean, Jack, you correctly called that Newcastle would get sucked into this in December, actually just before that we played them at St. James's Park. And I think I gave you a funny look across the room um, when you said it thinking, no way, they just win too many games. And well, look, right, you are. We're here in mid-February and there are they are the one team that Fulham really are pinning their hopes on. So I'm, I'm hoping that you've looked again into that Jack Collins crystal ball and can see another side falling into it. Um, I think Peter's right. If anyone's going to get pulled in, I think it's Palace, but I, I think they're just too far away, um, if I'm honest. I think that Palace always seem to get these like weird, random, that two wins on the bounce out of nowhere. Uh, and they did it a couple of weeks back. I think they they beat Wolves and, Wolves and Newcastle, and that's why they are where they are now. Uh, and now they've gone, they're the only two wins, as Peter says, in, in 13. Um, but... Those those ones are going to be enough, I think. By the by, the looks of it. you win those kind of those kind of games every so often, and those two wins on the bounce, they look so impressive when you you know they, when they've lifted you away from it, and they lifted them up to I think twelfth at the time. They've fallen a couple of spots since then, um, but they're important wins, you know. That we that we can't kind of look past. They've they've won eight games, and yes, they've lost you know far more than Fulham have, um, but but ultimately that's you know going to be going to be difficult to to kind of work in in the same way so 
Yeah, if anyone's going to get dragged in, I think it's Palace. But I really do think this is basically a, a two-horse shootout between Fulham and, and Newcastle now. Um, I, I would love to say that more teams are going to get dragged in, but I, I just think that everyone else will have just about enough. I think that, you know, Peter's right. Brighton play a, a certain way and they've been incredibly wasteful with their finishing for the for the majority of the year. But, you know, they haven't lost in five now. Two wins and three draws. They're starting to pull themselves away. Uh, I, th- I can see them beating Palace this weekend and and kind of continue, continuing that ascendancy up the table. Jack, just before we take a break and look at Sheffield United, had an interesting here from Lucy Shomay. And I thought it was a good one to, to ask for you because it's one that I've been toying with in the last few weeks. It got asked to me on... Um, an Everton podcast that I did last week as well. And she basically said after the Everton game that she was buzzing from the win saying it's hard to be in a beer full and fan most of the time, but the wins when they come are such a high, they really mean something. And even though it's tough, it's better as a fan to have something to actually play for, be it promotion or avoiding relegation. And in the last six seven years Fulham have either been fighting for promotion or avoiding relegation and of course in two seasons that was avoiding relegation to league one for a long time it's a long long time since Fulham have had a mid-table season and right now I feel like I would do anything for a mid-table season as long as it's not in the championship as long as it's not in the championship as long as it's in the Premier League and I look at the likes of I don't know Wolves Southampton and even Arsenal to respect who can just go about their business and be happy that okay they're not getting in the top four but they're also probably not going to get relegated is it um Is it better the devil you know? Do you prefer Fulham when we've actually got something to play for? Or right now, do you think a few seasons of mid-table mediocrity would be quite nice? Yeah, I'd love a few seasons of mid-table mediocrity, obviously. Um, I'd just like to be, just like to some calmness, please. Just like not having to like eat my heart out every time Fulham lose a game and explode with joy every time Fulham win one. It is, it is, it's emotional to, you know, to quote, Big Chris in Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. It's it's an emotional experience following Fulham at the moment. And every up is up and every down is down. And I think it plays out in the fan base. I, I do think this. I think the fact that the fan base is so explosive on Twitter at the moment. And and in it, I think part of this is fueled by the fact that we are you know, going up and going down. And every game has stacked with so much meaning. And there isn't any kind of time to breathe. You know, every every game matters hugely. There is no dead rubbers. There are no games that we can look at and be like, oh, it's probably fine, isn't it? And I think that takes its toll on people eventually. People are more easily enraged. People are you know lose their rag more easily. People are more willing to apportion blame. And I, you know, I say this as as someone who's done the same. You know, we we look at everything so in in so much intrinsic detail that we're trying to kind of needle the, you know, the the smallest thing possible and any possible gain. We're trying to get incremental gains out of any element of Fulham, whether that be recruitment or tactics or substitutions or personnel or staff or coaches or whatever it is. We're, we're looking at all of them trying to be like, oh, we just need that 5%. We can stay up and... And I think it does take its toll. So, so yes, I mean, I think on the whole, it is better to be a club player playing for something. And I do appreciate that being emotionally invested is is a good thing and, and should keep us all, you know, intrigued within the club. But a couple of seasons of media, mid-table mediocrity, just to 
level the playing field, just steady the ship for a bit, I think would go down well. And I think it would help us all to to kind of kick on as well. It would be good for some some heart rates, I think. It's been quite interesting from a neutral perspective. It's quite interesting hearing you say that, Jack, because, you know, obviously coming into the club and then seeing the fact that it has, there have been that sort of fluctuation and, and just that emotional intensity and you do sort of sense it. Um, it, is, it can be quite sharp and it's... Uh, I, it's one of those things, isn't it? Because you, you, it does make you so much more engaged with what's going on. Everything, everything matters so much, and it may, you know the highs are so much higher. Um, but may, maybe it would just sort of just chill things out a little bit, just to just just relax things and, and fan, like calm the flames and put out a few fires and just just hold things in in shape for a bit. But it's yeah, I, I've I've I really noticed that coming in the, coming into the into the club this season. It's uh, obviously last year with the the emotion of promotion and playoffs and then coming in and seeing the team scrapping now. And it's, it's it was quite a contrast actually to, to last year with, with Bournemouth who had had that such long stability um that you know it never really felt like a fire until the the, the last few days. It was never that sort of sense of absolute fear until it, it really got Got, got closer to it whereas this this has been this has been quite intense from the get-go so <laughs> it's a very different way of very different experience yeah and it was interesting I was reading some comments bef- from Parker before yesterday's game and of course if Fulham were to go down this season I really hope not that's full that's Parker's third relegation in in with him being involved with Fulham of course one as a player and, and two as manager, one, of course, not really at all his fault. But yeah, just it's been for like that for such a long time. And I think as a fan base, we forget. And you look at like Crystal Palace and I listen to them and they're so bored. They're so bored with being mid-table football. And Fulham used to be like that. I, I, it's re- really rose-tinted glasses. But I used to remember going to games and like, oh, if we won, we won. And it was great. If we lost, then we lost. But we were still probably going to finish 13th, 14th. It didn't really matter. Sometimes we were worried about relegation, but we were kind of in the situation that Palace are in now. A, a couple of wins will probably see us good. So yeah, it was an interesting question, Lucy, and uh, certainly one that I've been grappling with over, over recent times, because certainly from a podcast perspective, having constant relegations and promotions gives us plenty to talk about and it is easier when there's stuff on the line in terms of making sure that there is interesting things to discuss but also just I think our heart rates for a couple of years could do with uh, maybe finishing 12th and getting to the fifth round of the FA Cup that would be lovely right we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to look forward to Saturday's game against Sheffield United Part three of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy here with Jack and Peter. Uh, Dom is going to be doing an opposition preview with a Sheffield United fan. Uh, It should be up by the time that you listen to this podcast. So head to the Fulhamish YouTube channel if you'd like to get a Blades perspective on all things uh, before Saturday's game. 8pm kickoff, believe it's live on Sky. I'm, I'm not sure what to think of the Saturday night kickoffs. I certainly prefer it to the Sunday night kickoff that we saw against Everton uh, last weekend but Jack we've had a few of these now we had it against West Brom earlier in the season Uh, we had it against West Brom just a few weeks ago and of course that didn't go to plan it's one of those games that you look at and you just say there is no time for excuses now anything less than three points is kind of an unmitigated disaster really yeah, uh, win or bust in in a in the word you know to to coin a phrase. It's 
Yeah, it, it really is a must win. And I think that maybe yes, if you looked at yesterday's game and we'd won yesterday, then maybe you could have accepted a draw on the weekend. Um, but you can't now because yesterday we didn't win. And I think if you take offered seven points from these three games, I think most people would have snapped your hand off for them. Uh, and so I think that that's basically where we're at now. We have to win at the weekend against the Sheffield United side, who, who did have a bit of a resurgence. I think it's worth worth kind of pointing out. But that resurgence has kind of fallen down a little bit in, in recent weeks. They They lost... 3-0 to West Ham, obviously. They lost 2-1 to Chelsea, but a game that Chelsea really controlled from kind of start to finish. They beat West Brom in a really scrappy affair. They held their own quite reasonably against Man City. And before that, that was that bizarre win over Manchester United. But look, I, I think Fulham can beat this side. Uh, if I'm being perfectly honest, you look at the team that that played against West Ham, you know, and, and you see how they've kind of felt this year. Ethan Ampadu has started to find his feet now after a bit of a tricky start. But... You know, John Egan obviously was went off with an injury, so so he's going to be missing probably. Um, Basham has, has been kind of part centre-back, part centre-midfielder for long parts of this season, and he's having to fill in there at the back now. He's doing a fine job at it, but, you know, this isn't the side of, of old. This isn't the Sheffield United with a back three that included Jack O'Connell that was absolutely rock-solid, right? This is a team that are filling in the gaps as best they can, and, you know, they're, they're, they're ultimately there for the taking, I think. Uh, and that's not, to, that's not to take anything away from the job that Chris Wilde has done. It's not to, to disrespect them at all. I just think that this is a side that have been ravaged by injuries. No one really talks about that too much, I think. You know, we always, we always hear the media banging on about Liverpool's injury crisis. I think that Sheffield United is, is almost as bad um, in, in how they've missed Jack O'Connell. Uh, and what he brings to the side. The whole kind of structure revolves around him, and that's not been great. Um, they, they've been lacking in, in the middle. Holly Norwood, obviously old friend of old friend of the pod, Holly Norwood, um, it, it will be lining up against us. And, and it's kind of a, a team that's, you think, you look at it, it's a team that's reasonably aging. You know, Norwood, you look at Osborne, you look at Billy Sharp, you look at David McGoldrick. You know, these are the old guard. Uh, for Sheffield United, and and with all that in mind, I feel like Fulham have enough to to get this over the line. Yeah, I completely agree with Jack. You know, this is this is do or die. It's actually really big for Sheffield United as well. I think this is this. You know, it's if they lose this chance. game, this yeah. is it, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, if they lose this, that's that's it. It's curtains. I don't think you can bring yourself back up to to fight these last games with the belief you can stay up, and the gap would be just too big. So. You know, there's a lot on it for them, but uh, you know, I look at their squad and they, the, the job Chris Wilder did last year was was fantastic, and we was able to cultivate such a strong sort of team mentality that played above themselves, that harnessed their crowd, and all of these sort of things have just become undone, haven't they? You know, obviously no crowd at the moment, um, injuries, as, as Jack was saying. Obviously, they've they've missed Dean Henderson in goal. I mean, I watched Aaron Ramsdale last year, and I, you know, it's been Ramsdale was Bournemouth's best player last year, but comfortably Bournemouth's best player last year, and. Um, he, he started to, to to pick himself up now, and he's, he's, he's improving. But you know, he had a poor start, didn't he? And he had a couple of errors there that, that, you, that just makes such a massive difference when you're when you're fighting on these fine margins. And um, and that that all of that together has just led to what we see now. And from a Fulham perspective, this is this is a must win. It's a winnable game. Um, they'll know the, the squad will know that. Park Park has made that clear as well. So. Um, 
yeah, it's, it's three points. It has to be three points, really. It really does. I think it, it really will puncture any momentum that's been sort of built in the last few weeks. And I know that seems a bit dramatic and maybe we're sort of caught up in it a little bit, but, you know, you're then looking at a real uphill challenge. And it, just for the other knock-on effects, what it means potentially for Newcastle, it takes the heat off them. It's it's everything else. Um, so, but yeah, very, very important. And yeah, I'm also not a fan of these late kickoffs either <laughs> for working reasons. <laughs> yeah, it's just a bit of an odd one, isn't it? Eight o'clock on a Saturday. It feels like football should be over by then and we should be watching The Wheel or something like that with Michael McIntyre. But um, alas, What's I'll, the I'll wheel? It's, hang on. Can we just what? make a point? It's one of the worst shows of all time. It's so oh, bad. It? It, it grew on me a bit, The Wheel. No. No, I'm, I'm having none of that. Sorry. <laughs> oh, is that the thing with the, the, the someone comes up through the floor? Yeah, it's yes. awful. I don't get it because it spins and then like who decides when it stops? It's just a bit contrived, isn't it? Like, so I actually do. I have some inside knowledge that it is actually random, but you are right because it's digital. I think they were trying to basically do the Wheel of Fortune, which was a mechanical wheel and actually like looked and felt random. But yeah, um, it isn't. It is, it is a bit of an odd concept, to be perfectly honest. It is very slow as well. There seems to be one question every like 10 minutes, which for a quizzer like myself is is not a good enough uh, minutes to questions ratio for me. Anyway, um, let's come back on to uh, the game. And you brought Jack, it up. Any- <laughs> <laughs> you're a university dis- challenge man, Sammy. Is that what you're trying uh, to tell us? I am, but I'm terrible at it. Like I'll get like two right at a show and that'll be a good performance for me. Like I like to test myself, but I, I just know nothing basically. My specialist subject, uh, if it isn't like Fulham in the early noughties, then, then pretty much that I'm not going to be able to uh, get any points. Anyway, <laughs> um, would you make any changes for this weekend, Jack? Uh, yes, I would. I would bring in Angisa from the start. I think for that... Who? Fulamina. Um well Harrison Reed is undroppable, so so it has to be yes, Fulamina, right? Um and uh, I would go like that. I think that it'd be an interesting here when we're playing against the three at the back system, and I hope that Scott doesn't abandon ship and go back to go back to his own three at the back to try and match it up. Uh, I hope that he he sticks with what he's got. He tries to to impose on this game and and play in a kind of four two three one. I really hope we see Ruben Loftus Cheek back in the middle. Uh, I assume we're going to see him start because he starts every game. Um, but after yesterday's performance, uh, the one thing I can say is I just don't want to see him on the right hand side anymore. I, I just don't don't think it suits him. I think that him being in the middle of that in the, in the pitch gives him a little bit more. I also think it would it allows us to match up three versus three in the middle, which I think is going to be important. Uh, and I think Bobby Reed coming off that wing and, and playing off a major is going to be useful as, as we go forward. So I wouldn't change too much. Um, I might be tempted to give Anthony Robinson a run. Um, I know Olaina was brilliant midweek and we talked about him being the answer at left back, but I do think that there is scope that if we are going to allow the, you know, the fullbacks to fly forward um, and we saw quite a lot of our attack trying to build down that left-hand side yesterday. Um, that Anthony Robinson does offer that pace to, to get in behind and try and get across and, Look, we, we've seen his crossing ability v- vary wildly this year. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend that he's the best crosser of the ball in the world. But I do think that if he can get beyond his man and drill the ball into the middle with a player like Maggio, who's going to try and get off the shoulder of the defender and get in front of them, we might start to see some joy there as well. So I would maybe bring Anthony Robinson in for Aino, although I wouldn't be upset to see. So either of them play, to be honest, um, but I would probably bring Angisa in for Lamina. 
I think if you bring Robinson in, this is where I'm at with him at the moment. It needs to be with a free. I, I just think he needs more freedom as a as a wing back, yeah. um, just a little bit more in, more insurance there. And I, he's he feels like he's a player that just needs to add that that sort of final piece, you know, that end product. I mean, that's one of the things that's been letting him down. I think it was be, it became quite notable before he, before he dropped out of the team. So maybe maybe if Scott does do that, I, I'd imagine that Robinson would would come back in. But um, I. I I felt like I, this was just from 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 last night, but I thought Ivan Cavallero had a really good impact on the game, and I yeah. think that I mean I, I think maybe this is more of a hindsight thing rather than necessarily suiting for for Sheffield United, but he really fitted the game, and you know one of his best attributes is retaining the ball and his close ball control. Um, you know, he, he sometimes when it comes to his end product, he, he can let him let his play down a little bit. But you know, when he came on, he took the ball, he drove with it, he, he created overloads just by going past a player, and um, and actually allowed Fulham to keep their foot on the ball for for extended periods. So I wonder if there's a place for him. But I, I, I could only make that case probably if there was the intention to play Loftus Cheek again on the right. I would probably prefer Cavallero on that side. I think when Fulham went to Sheffield United, he actually played on the right and then dropped in as the right wing back, you know, the out of possession five in possession four. It was actually Cavallero who did it that day. So yeah, um, maybe you could you could make a case there or, or, or to partner uh, Madger and then put Bobby Deckard over Reed outright, which, you know, that gives Fulham the flexibility to move between a four and a five if they they choose to do that and, and match Sheffield United depending on how they how they approach the game and how they and their intent from it so but yeah I broadly agree with with, with Jack I do think if you're going to use Loftus-Cheek you should really be used centrally and uh, at least until until Tom Kearney comes back um, whenever that may be which doesn't seem to be clear at the moment uh, and Mitrovic still likely to be absent for this one Peter yes so Scott Parker said he, he doesn't think he'll be available um, for for this one he did say that from his second COVID test, I don't. We didn't actually say specifically, but didn't say it came back positive. So it's always very difficult to try and work out <laughs> um, what 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 actually may be the case. But um, yeah, he he says he doesn't think he'll be available until after Sheffield United, which I think is a blow because I think especially last night bringing on Mitrovic just to change the dynamic of the game a little bit, yeah. um, allowing Fulham to go a bit more direct would have been very very useful. And and you know just having having him as an option as much as someone who can start. And, and it's good that Josh Madger has, has scored those two goals in his debut because otherwise you, you, there's a bit of pressure there that you wouldn't want to, to build up too much. Well, fingers crossed, we'll go and do the business against Sheffield United on Saturday. Um, as, as we said, an absolute must win uh, for Fulham and a must win for me, really, because I'm hosting the podcast on Sunday and I could really do without this becoming a real thing. So uh, why don't you just go fingers- and watch the wheel? I, mate, <laughs> it's not. It's not to do with. It's not to do with whether he wins or uh, whether he watches it or not. Peter, it's to do with whether he's hosting or not. Yeah, I could. Just, I could not watch the game, and it doesn't affect it as long as I'm on the podcast. It just makes it up a bit. Do something to change it. Watch it somewhere else. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I was. I, I wore a a lucky outfit against Everton, so I might. Ooh. I might put the same thing on again for Sheffield United. Just anything, anything to break this curse that is hanging over me. An outfit well, that sounds quite complete. So Ooh. all all clothing, hat as well. well. 
<laughs> no, I just, I, you know, I decided not to wear a Fulham shirt for the occasion last Sunday. I thought, you know what, this Fulham shirt's not been getting the wind, so I just put on a normal red T-shirt, and uh, it seems to do the business. And I meant to put it on again last night, but I forgot. So um, I'm going to go for it again on Saturday and see if just. I'm, I'm, I'm so superstitious at the moment because I'm feeling like the world's against me in terms of this whole podcast hosting thing. So we'll we'll, we'll wait and see. Uh, Jack, what are we going for for podcast name today? Uh, I'm going for hopes more deja drew more deja drew it very, was, very it's good. really good uh, it's really good I, I'm, I'm really yeah. pleased with it so well done hope like really well really done. good okay I'll be back on the podcast on Sunday unfortunately uh, until then Peter Rutzler thank you very much for being on the pod thank you for having me uh, and Jack Collins thank you very much thank you Sammy it's always a pleasure uh, have a good weekend. Fingers crossed Fulham can do the business and we'll speak to you on Sunday. Come on, you whites. You whites. <laughs>